I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Regularly Scheduled Programming, where we watch stuff and talk about it. I'm Joe. And I'm Ashley. And you can email us at regularlyscheduledpod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at regularlyscheduledpod. You can follow us on Twitter at RSPpod. Or you can find us on Facebook at Regularly Scheduled Programming Podcast. And uh, Joe, do we have any news this week? Uh, Yeah, a few items. Uh, the first one actually came out, or I guess was announced earlier this month, but somehow we completely missed it. So there has been a new Muppet series that is being created. It's called, uh, from what I was able to find, The Muppets Mayhem. Okay. Uh, it's being created by Adam Goldberg, uh, who created The Goldbergs. Which I watched up until the last season, I think. Yeah, it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. And what makes me really excited about this series is it's about, like, the show focuses on Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. We love Dr. Teeth. Yeah, uh, it I, I have had and still currently own shirts specifically uh, for, the, that, that, for that band. Me too. I wore uh, one when I saw Green Day and Weezer this mm-hmm. last summer. And we actually get uh, compliments on those shirts. <laughs> Every time. Not a lot them. of people... <laughs> have Dr. Teeth shirts, but we both really love the Muppets. We do. And Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. It's not, I don't know, I wouldn't call it a deep cut because they are prevalent in almost everything Muppets at some point. Yeah, I mean, they're a big focus of the Muppet movie. Yeah, but they don't get a lot of recognition, you know? So from the way the show was being described in the article I read, it's kind of Dr. Teeth and the electric mayhem navigating the popular music world while they are still in search of their one big hit. I don't know. I'm really excited. I love the Muppets. Uh, animal is one of my favorite Muppets, mm-hmm. uh, top five drummer all time, <laughs> but yeah, so we missed that one somehow. I don't know how it happened, but I'm really excited to see what comes of this show. As like a, I don't know if I would call myself like a fan of the Goldbergs necessarily, but I definitely think that based on the way that the Goldbergs was written and how it's like an 80s, you know, 80s show, I could see him creating a good Muppet vibe. So I'm kind of, I mean, more Muppets is great. We haven't exactly been keeping up with some of the more newer Muppet stuff other than the last one we saw was the Jason Siegel movie, I think. Which we both really liked. Yeah, we loved it. Um, and but... they've had, I think, a couple of series since then. They had the one that was like the Muppets, but it was kind of themed to be like The Office. 
Yeah, uh, which, which we I think we watched one or two episodes of, but it just wasn't vibing with us really. To me, it never really felt like the Muppets. Yeah, I kind of feel like I feel like if they wanted to just re not reboot but revive the old Muppet show where it's a variety show with celebrity guests and stuff like that, I feel like that would be the perfect way to bring the Muppets back in. But for some reason, they're not. I thought they tried to do that. Did they? I don't know. Apparently, for big Muppets fans, we don't know that much about uh, the current state <laughs> of the Muppets. I was going to say, like, we do enjoy the Muppets, and this definitely, like, because we like Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem and the show in general just sounds really interesting to us. Yeah. So we'll see how it goes. Like Joe said, we missed that news from last m- month, apparently. It was so. early this month. Yeah. Uh, I think the article that I found it in was dated March 7th. Yeah, so sometimes the news is a little cold, but... Well, and like I said, you know, we don't go out searching for stories. We just kind of, you know, talk about the things that cross our paths. Yeah, for me, mostly it's like I pop onto Twitter and it's all over my feed or it's trending or whatever. Or it's a property that I like, so I'm paying attention to it. Uh, Which brings us to the next one, which is, and just like that, has gotten a season two. Uh, was it so you showed me this and had me write it down to put on the news i did uh was it known that they were doing a season two and this was just a teaser for that or was, was this no the announcement teaser, it was the announcement i think i kind of assumed it might get a season two to be honest i never really talked that much about the show i think in the first couple episodes of the podcast it was still going on just that like i mean <sighs> Well, I remember you talking about how you felt the show had its issues, but you would you were still watching it regardless. Yes, because so in talking with like friends that also like Sex in the City, we all acknowledged that it was Flawed. looking back through a 2022 lens onto Sex in the City. It's definitely problematic, but there's some nostalgia there. I don't think that's a bad thing to watch it fully acknowledging like oh that's not okay or you know whatever my problem with season one is that a lot of characters did some very out of character things in my opinion and I'm not saying that characters can't grow and change but especially with what happened with Miranda's character cheating on her husband this was a huge plot in the sex in the city movies that her husband cheated on her and it was like the broken trust the everything and I just, I don't think she would have done that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a problem with her character supposedly being bisexual now, I guess. She never came out as a lesbian, so I just assume maybe she's more sexually fluid now. Or maybe she always was. They never really, that's the other thing, is they kept having these characters do things, but they were always surface level. They never really talked about it. So they would have a character like, uh, whoever it was that she just said be bisexual or sexually fluid but never talk about like how they came to that realization she became attracted to a non-binary individual and i guess i could understand why maybe it was more the person than sexuality like i've heard that's more of like a pansexual thing where you're attracted to the person rather than how they identify mm-hmm. i guess I just, like I said, to me, it was very much out of character. And there were several times where I was like, that doesn't feel right. And granted, I'm not writing this show. I'm just a viewer. So who am I to say? Yeah, I think. But I'm not the only one that felt that way. 
So yeah, I think it's so when you have an established character mm-hmm. that you feel is created a certain way, I guess, you know, in this case, throughout the entire original series, she was straight. No hintings or anything of any other kind of sexual identity. Is it sexual identity? I don't want to use the wrong term. I'm not very... Yeah, I think we're getting into some territory that we are not 100%. Please forgive us if we use, like, the wrong language. We're trying to learn as we go. (laughs) But no inclination towards anything but being heterosexual. As far as I remember, and I rewatched the original series, like, probably about two years ago, so... But, but yeah, I mean, it's it's like if they rebooted Friends and then all of a sudden Chandler's a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. But like it was just very much like, wait, that's how how is this working? What happened? You just to him? you you want to see or you want to be you want it to be explained. How do I want to put this? Like you want to see the characters change. You want the character to acknowledge the change for the viewing audience. So right. well, and I always kind of felt like sex in the city for all its problematic things they always did a really good job at getting behind the characters motivations even if it was just through like carrie writing about them in her column like we Mm -hmm. knew exactly why this character did this based on their personality how they were raised etc so with that said i will probably watch season two because again it is it's a nostalgia thing. And here's the thing. I fully acknowledge that that is terrible. And that's exactly what they're counting on. They're counting on us keep, to keep watching these things that they're releasing. They count see, on the existing audience. See, but I don't think that's terrible. It's something that you like and you shouldn't have to justify watching it as long as it's not purposefully... I guess maybe being offensive to a certain specific group or purposefully being shit because they can get it done cheap because they know somebody's going to watch it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like if it looks like they're putting effort into it, whether they hit or miss, in my opinion. I did. I did see some discourse on Twitter, of course, about the non-binary character Che. Uh, just kind of about her character in general. I will say they did choose a non-binary actress to play her. Mm-hmm. And the actress is actually an actress that I really like from Grey's Anatomy. So I don't necessarily think it was a problem of the actress that was playing her. It was more about like how they wrote the character. Okay. But again. Well, maybe the actress can give some writing tips. Because I can... I, I mean... I can imagine, especially for people who aren't in that world, mm-hmm. writing that kind of character can be difficult because it's hard to realize that maybe you're uh, presenting stereotypes. Right. And there's, you know, there's been a lot of arguments made by people that are in uh, different communities, mm-hmm. whether it be different um, sexualities, disability communities, just cultures, ethnicities, cultures, et cetera, you know, that you shouldn't try to write about that experience if you're not in it. Well, I don't, I don't know if I track with that, but I do think I will say this, like, because all of these shows, it's not like it's a writer writing these, they have writer's rooms. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if you are going to have that, then that, that element should be represented in your writer's room period. Especially if part of your story is focusing on that world, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's just, I don't know, Yes, it would be great if all these things were represented in every writer's room because they just should be. But if it's if it's non-crucial to the story you're telling, 
I don't think it's as necessary, but especially if those elements are part of the story that is being told, they should be told from somebody that has experience. Yeah, to me, it's like there's this meme on like every book community where it's like, here's the way that a man writes a woman and then here's the way a woman writes a man. And it's like two totally different ideas and like the men characters are tend to be more complex when mm-hmm. a woman is writing them. But when a man writes a woman, it's all boiled down to like, she's beautiful, but she doesn't know it or whatever. Yeah. And like, it's just all these horrible tropes. And so anyway, we don't have to keep talking about. That's a good conversation. All, yeah. Though, we don't so. have to keep talking about season two of sex in the city, but again, it's like, I'm going to watch it. I'll probably talk about it when it comes around but I wouldn't necessarily say I'm excited about it. (laughs) Okay. Last on the list of news was something I kind of stumbled across a couple days ago. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it was an article or just a quote, but regardless. So Netflix is producing a, or an avatar, the last airbender live action series. Right. Um, This has been known for, I feel like a couple of years now, but the budget for the show has come to light, at least in some form, whether it's insider knowledge, a leak or an official statement. I'm not exactly sure, but supposedly the budget for the eight episode series is 121 or 120 over 120 million dollars, which breaks down, according to the thing that I saw, to to over 15 million dollars per episode. It's going to be a very pretty show. <laughs> Hopefully. Hopefully. Now, this show has had its bits of controversy the original creators of avatar were originally uh connected to the series but left um citing essentially creative differences not seeing eye to eye on what you know they wanted the show to be versus what i guess netflix wanted the show to be which makes us both a little nervous well i mean i'm scared i don't know i don't want to say that i'm nervous because it could be something very drastic where it does completely change the world of avatar and mm-hmm. we both love both series of Avatar. We do. Um, but it, it could just be a difference of opinion in what they want to show in the series. So, yeah, I see a lot of people just being like, it's going to be shit because the original creators left. And it's like, well, it could be. Yeah, but you should probably wait to see it before forming that opinion. Otherwise, when you go in to see it, your own bias is going to uh, cloud your judgment. No matter how good it is, it'll never be good enough. Well, I don't expect it to be a frame-by-frame recreation of the original series. Nope. I I would like it to be close. It should, <laughs> you know? in my opinion. It, it's hard for it's hard for something like this when you're recreating something that already existed. But it should stand on its own. Well, to me, it's very much like I mean, it's not any different than when they make a book into a movie mm-hmm. or a show. It's like hit the big points but you don't have to get there the same way necessarily yeah because if i if i want that original avatar experience i'll just go watch the original series that's perfectly fine by me we have we have rewatched that show probably six seven times yeah you know so i'm fine with a live action series or a new version of that story being told that doesn't have to be exact you know hit the big points you know give me uh give me some badass suki in there Mm-hmm. And as long as Uncle Iroh is still a badass, then <laughs> I'm probably going to be happy as long as, you know, it makes sense. 
Yeah. And I also think, like, the original, was it was a cartoon. You can't expect the exact same things out of a live action mm-hmm. series. Like I said, I want them to hit the big points. I, I'm fully expecting a cameo from Cabbage Man. I'll be a little disappointed if we don't see the Cabbage Man. <laughs> see, that's something like, yes, I want it there, but I don't know. Because it's Netflix and they're doing live action, it yeah. might drop a lot of the comedic beats. Right. And like... To me, I I will, I'm fine if they want to take it into a more dramatic area, but I like the comedic element. Yeah, that's the thing. There are certain characters where, like, how do you represent Boomy yeah. without the comedic beats there? There's no way. Because otherwise he's not the he same character comes then. off as eccentric. Yeah, even um, Uncle Iroh, in, especially in season one. Mm-hmm. He's very, like... Where he's that eccentric uncle. And then in, yeah. like, season two, he's a bit more serious out. with him. Yeah. And then in season three, um, especially at the end of season three, it's like, oh, Iroh's fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But anyway, that was just interesting. $15 million an episode is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the world we're living in now. These series people, you know, these companies have realized that they can tell more story in a better way with a series. And I am 100% for it. Yeah, I'd much rather get an eight-episode series than a two-hour movie where I walk out going, that didn't have anything that I wanted in it. Well, you still haven't seen The Last Airbender live-action movie. And I will not see that movie. (laughs) So with that, that's pretty much the end of the news that came across our path uh, in the last week. Uh, I think we're going to take a break for an ad. If it shows up. I've been inputting the ads during the break. It doesn't always come through. I've gotten a couple bits of feedback about that. But anyway, I'm inserting an ad after the news. Either way, we're going to take a break. (laughs) Okay, so we will be back after the next minute, 30 seconds. However long the ad may or may not be. (laughs) Well, uh, we'll be back to talk about what we watched afterward. All right. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. 
And we're back. Hopefully there was an ad there. Um, but either way, we're going to move on to what we watched. Ashley has said that I get to go first again this week. Yeah, it's uh, fine. <laughs> not a whole lot. Uh, I watched London Has Fallen. Okay. Which is the sequel to Olympus Has Fallen with Gerard Butler. Uh, oh my God, I am blanking on his name. He's somebody that we really love. Uh, he's in Thank You for Smoking. Oh, Aaron Eckert? Aaron Eckert, yes. Uh, love him. Can't believe I forgot his name. Uh, but anyway, it's the sequel. Similar premise. Gerard Butler's Secret Service agent. He is the lone man protecting the president. And basically, there's like this siege on London and a bunch of world leaders get taken out. And Sorry, my brain instantly is like, I thought that was Clive Owen. And then I realized I think I do that with both Gerard Butler and Clive Owen, even though I know they're not the same guy. <laughs> Very much not the same guy. No. Anyway, it's good mindless action. Um, I still think Olympus Has Fallen was written as a diehard movie, but <laughs> it got changed somewhere along the line. And they're just like, well, we'll just make the same movie. It's just we're going to catch Gerard Butler instead of Bruce Willis. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's good action. I wonder if it's one of those things where like writers create like mock scripts for movies and then they send them in. It could be. For like odd auditioning as a writer or whatever and then maybe someone found it and they're like oh this diehard thing (laughs) that someone wrote would actually be a really good movie let's flesh it out or something (laughs) and here's the thing i don't know if i'd classify at least the two that i watched there is a third in the trilogy but i don't know if i'd classify them as really good movies they're fun action movies doesn't always have to be great cinema yeah um i also watched a movie i think it's a netflix original uh called triple threat Okay. Still on my martial arts movie uh, hang up right now. And it was pretty good. It's how do I want to describe the movie? It's weird because it starts off making you think it's going to kind of go one way, but then it starts following a different set of characters as the protagonists. But yeah, it's good. Good fight scenes, good action, some really bad dialogue. (laughs) Uh, But other than that, check it out. I think it's uh, worth a watch. Uh, I have also still been making my way through Into the Badlands. Uh, I am almost... (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because... So we... Obviously, we pay for Netflix, our own subscription, but we only have one screen at a time. Hashtag not sponsored, but would be willing to be sponsored. (laughs) Sure, Netflix. Yeah, pick pick us up, Netflix. Um, But... So it, it has happened one other time that... One of us has been watching something and then the other goes to watch it. And it's like, you're only allowed to watch one screen at a time. And so that happened this week. Joe was watching Into the Badlands. I went to go watch Bridgerton season one for rewatch. I'll talk about that when it's my turn. But just him talking about it just now made me laugh thinking about how it was like, oh, no, you go ahead. Oh, no, it's fine. You go ahead. And finally, I was like, no, it's fine. You can go ahead. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, anyway, so I'm at a point in Into the Badlands where I'm actually starting to get a little sad that I know that it's the last season that was made because what the story that they're telling in this third season is, has my attention a lot more than the first two seasons. They're really getting into a lot of the like mysticism and stuff like that that's involved in this world. And it's really interesting, and it, like I said, it does make me a little sad. I will probably go fishing on the internet to see if any 
like a lot of times creators and stuff like that, if a show gets canceled early, they'll drop some little nuggets of what was going to come out of the next season or what they had planned for the story going going forward. Right. Partially, I think, to appease the fans who uh, were into this into the show, but also, I think, to try to drum up enough um, interest. Uh, interest so fans will try to get the show brought back because it's happened before or get the show picked up by another network or a streaming service or something like that. But I will be looking into that and see what uh, see what I can find. Maybe talk about that next week when I if I finish this week. I still have like half the season to go. Was that originally a Netflix show or was it like on AMC? It was on AMC. So it was like because I think I remember seeing the previews when I was watching The Walking Dead. Yeah. That's why I was wondering. I'm surprised Netflix hasn't. I mean, Netflix is busy doing plenty of other shows, but it would. Dep- I mean, Netflix see can see the numbers for how many people are watching it. Maybe it's just not hitting. Yeah, it could you know, be. It's not hitting their uh, their marker for wanting to continue the show. I don't even know exactly when the show actually ended. I don't know either. I can so I IMDb it. it up. I can IMDb it real quick. He's on his phone. We are filling dead air yes. while Joe is looking at his phone. <laughs> uh, so the series came out in 2015. And it so the last season was, uh, it ended in 2019. Okay, so it's been a it's been a few years. I think uh, I think it's dead. Yeah, I think at best what we would get is a maybe like a reboot, either a reboot or a continuation, but like following a new set of characters and stuff like that. Like because it, it's good, like you know, good fight scenes. The story's pretty good. Like I said, I'm more into what they're going over now versus what the first two seasons did. Mm-hmm. But I'm enjoying it, and it does make me a little sad. You know, I knew there it. Only was three seasons when I went into it, but I was still willing to give it a shot. It still stinks when, like, you're watching a show and you know it ends and you can kind of tell it's not going to end well for you as a viewer. (laughs) But you have to keep kind of pushing through because you want to see how it goes. Yeah, well, that's uh, really all I watched on my own this week. All right. So uh, it is your turn and then we will watch the stuff that you have little hearts next to. Or talk about the stuff that we watch that you have little hearts next to. Yeah, that's the stuff we watch together because I'm cute. (laughs) Yeah, I just have two separate columns. (laughs) You're still cute. It's okay. (laughs) Okay, so this week I watched some YouTube. Of course, there's still... I thought The Secrets of Playboy would end with season or with episode 10. I don't know why I had that in my head. Maybe because that's where a lot of episodes or shows like this end, like documentary shows. But anyway, it's still going. More to the point is I have a feeling that if Hugh Hefner was still alive, he'd probably have his ass in prison by now. Because of, yeah, all this stuff that was like hidden, the way these girls were treated, drugged. Mm. Um, Apparently he secretly filmed all of them. Like in their, like he had, it was known that he had cameras all over the house, but he also had them in various rooms. Mm -hmm. I, I mean... We grew up in, I don't want to say the era of Playboy because it's started way before we were born, but the 80s and 90s. And then they had like the Girl Next Door um, show. So it's definitely like. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I never watched it. So I only watched it like if I was at a friend's house and they were watching it. Uh, but like Playboy was a symbol, you mm-hmm. know, a lot of girls. The tanning girls that would do like the Playboy bunny when they tanned. It was definitely like a thing. Um, and of course, I think like media talk at the time was very much like 
if you don't like Playboy, you're anti-feminist. And that's because that's how Playboy was trying to frame it. Yeah, it was always, like, it always, if I'm remembering correctly, it always seemed like Playboy was kind of about respecting women and their choice to do this. Correct. And how it can be empowering for women to do this and all that kind of thing. So it was really kind of this... I don't want to say a moral high ground in this world, but kind of like it was the it was the moral way to go about this kind of that kind of product. Yeah. If you want to take off your clothes for money, go for it. Mm -hmm. You know, and if you don't agree, you're anti-feminist. But now watching this documentary, uh, which I will say the Hefner family is no longer involved in Playboy. Playboy has come out and said they believe all the allegations, the allegations and basically that they I don't want to say they confirm I'll try to get the exact wording next week but basically that they acknowledge the women and believe them Mm -hmm. about their experiences but it I will just say it has been a crazy documentary to watch um if you're at all interested in playboy or you just like documentaries, I definitely recommend it. It has a lot of people from like the beginning of Playboy, bodyguards, butlers, uh, former bunnies, assistants, like all sorts of people. A couple of the girls next door are interviewed for the show. Um, Holly, I mean, she wrote a whole book about her experience. So that's out there. I've never read it. But anyway, like I said, I've found the whole thing fascinating i'm kind of glad it didn't end at the last episode because i want to know more so a lot of the controversy is it and i realize that they are very intertwined and you can't really you can't really separate them but i'm curious is it playboy as a publication in general like you know the 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 model or the actress that goes in and does a shoot versus the playboy mansion culture it's... I realize that they're intertwined, but are, is a lot of the controversy involved with the mansion, contra- the mansion itself, and that and that life, and the it's parties so, and that kind of stuff. It's so intertwined, okay. like it was one and the same. Like if you were invited into the magazine to do mm-hmm. a shoot, you were automatically invited to the mansion, mm-hmm. and then that whole life there, um, very much. I mean, I really hate to say it this way, but like that sixties, seventies boys are going to be boys culture mm-hmm. even into the 80s um one of the episodes talked about like bill cosby and him drugging and raping several women at yeah. the playboy mansion that's known now that's mm-hmm. not an allegation <laughs> well because um, the, the reason i was asking is because i i know one of the things with playboy is they would get a significant number of big name actresses and stuff like that to go in and do shoes mm-hmm. um and I was just wondering if that part, if that controversial part of the world. So I will say it seemed very that. much more like your Midwestern girl okay. seemed to be the more targeted. Well, yeah. For these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So um, I definitely. So there... basically they could have part compartmentalized enough to the point where we, if you got this big name actress she was in. just in the magazine she yeah she that's what that's what i meant like the the publication itself and doing the big names and stuff like that versus that the mansion culture so well, it does yeah, seem and, like they can compartmentalize enough at least to the point where you know you get an a-list name in there who agrees to do a shoot yeah maybe doesn't even touch that 
mansion culture much so you know you don't run the risk of them using of them right because they have agents and pr people looking out for their best interests which almost makes it worse you know because it's like the number of jane doe from nowhere's iowa or whatever yeah like i was saying it kind of makes it worse because the number of people that have to be involved in it to cover up and make it appear so pristine from the outside looking in it's just yeah it's terrible yeah it's like I said, it's been a heavy watch. I'm not mm-hmm. going to lie. It's not, you're not going to sit down with some popcorn and enjoy this one. It's really, especially as a woman, especially as I would definitely consider myself a feminist. It makes you really think like for me growing up, I mean, I never wanted to be in Playboy, mm-hmm. but I always was like, yeah, you, you do that. Like, good for you, mm-hmm. you know? And this definitely makes me think like, wow, there was a really bad element to this. Tons of shitty things happening to girls that didn't know better, Yeah, you know, and a lot of it was girls that didn't have a parental figure looking out for them. So either way, like I said, I recommend it, but it's not a fun watch. (laughs) I was really annoyed this week because Married at First Sight had a clip show and... Basically, it was just like this commentary guy and three other women talking about the show so far. And that's annoying because I already feel like this show is so long now. Like when I was watching, I actually started uh, season eight this week. Oh, I might have misspoken said that I watched that season eight was the clip show. It was not that season 14. So I restarted. I've been watching old seasons of Married at First Sight on and off, and I started season eight, and I was amazed that, like, the wedding parts only took two total episodes, meeting the couple and them getting married, whereas now it's, like, spread out over, like, four episodes. It's just too much. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because there's five couples now instead of three or four, so there's more people to follow. I don't know, but I definitely think there's a big difference of the show between old and new mm-hmm. um let's see what else did i watch on my own i started re-watching bridgerton season one to get ready for season two i still really like it <laughs> that's all i can say you didn't start season two yet though right i did not start season two i have two episodes left of season one i'll probably watch those a little bit later tonight and then maybe start season two mm-hmm. um I did, I think it was last week that I was talking about, you find out that one of the characters is the gossip or whatever. So the gossiper is Lady Whistledown and she writes these like pamphlets that get distributed all over Bridgerton or all over London. Mm-hmm. Bridgerton is the family's name. And you find out at the end of season one, spoiler, that Penelope Featherington is Lady Whistledown and she's... Um, they live across the street from the Bridgertons. Uh, her dad gambled away all of their money, which the mom didn't know until their debts start going unpaid. And then her mom finds all these ledgers of people that her dad owes money to. But anyway, I'm still really enjoying it. I'm excited to get into season two. I'm glad I rewatched season one, revisit some of these characters. Am I having a hard time right now remembering any of their names? Yes. I blame pregnancy brain, <laughs> but can I blame that too? Cause I forget the names of characters and stuff we watch also. <laughs> I just think when you have a show that has so many characters, you know who they are, but you cannot always remember their name unless 
they really stick out to you as like a favorite character or you just rewatch the show so many times. Yeah. Or maybe it's age. <laughs> I don't know. You are older than me. I am. By four whole months. Oh, yeah. And I also watched Station 19 and Grey's Anatomy. They were both fine. Nothing to Par record. for the course for those shows. Yep. yep. <laughs> so I guess now we can talk about what we watched together. Yeah. In order as it happened through the week. Uh, start <laughs> with This Is Us. Okay. Uh, I didn't write down the episode number for this one. Was it so nine? So it was season six, episode nine. The title of the episode is called The Hill. And I incorrectly guessed that it was going to be the hill that Kate was going to die on. Instead, it was a literal hill and somewhat metaphorical, maybe. Yeah, because she did kind of, I mean, we see, so jumping to the end, we see her climb that hill, but then she also makes a decision when she gets to the top of it. And that kind of does symbolize, you know, well, this is the hill I'm willing to die on because this is what I'm going for. I think you're right. So you were right. I was right. It feels good. Anyway, the the episode is about Kate going to San Francisco to spend the weekend with Toby. Yes. See what his life is like up there. Mm-hmm. And we find out that Kate has been kind of imagining old Toby. Yeah. Which I have to say, um, the guy that plays Toby cannot oh. remember the actor's name right now. I had it. I should have written it down. Anyway, so... For those that don't know, the the actor that played Toby when he originally started playing him, he was in a fat suit from before. Um, oh, he was? Yes. I actually, I read that and I didn't believe it and I went and confirmed it and he was. He wasn't like a small dude by any means, but he, they did have him padded a bit. Okay. They recreated him mm-hmm. for this episode and even just the little ways that this actor plays quote old toby versus new toby um as i was re-watching it it's just he's so good mm-hmm. he he did it so well just the little tweaks of personality in both was just awesome but anyway so she imagines old toby well so what it is is she is not she kate is not completely happy with the situation who would be let's be no, honest be she really is not hard. wrong for feeling the way that she feels yeah but it's also the fact that Toby has changed. Yes. He, you know, people grow, they change over time. It happens. Some are lucky to grow together. Some grow apart. But the issue is, is that Kate wants the Toby that she met originally. Yes. Not what Toby has grown into. Which, I mean, from a viewer perspective, old Toby, original Toby was wonderful Mm -hmm. but he was depressed well there's a really great so it it does come out in the episode Mm -hmm. uh that kate's doing this and toby makes an extremely valid point Mm -hmm. uh and i'm not saying that this would apply to everyone in a similar situation but he basically tells kate that she fell in love with a coping mechanism a lot of his self uh deprecating humor and his outlandish clothes and stuff like that were things that he was doing to outwardly appear uh, happier and better than he felt on the inside. Right. Like he was always kind of a flashy dresser. This is what bothered me is Kate's like all the new fancy clothes. And it's like, well, hold on. Old Toby liked kind of outlandish, mm-hmm. maybe not fancy, but nice clothes that were kind of more flashy. 
new Toby. Just he likes nice clothes, but they're more understated mm-hmm. and I guess classic would be the right word. Well, like a navy suit. So so I'll put it this way from a from a guy's perspective. It seems like the business that he's in, the mm-hmm. the job that he's at rather. Um uh, yes, they appear to have a very casual, uh, likable relationship with everybody that he works with. Mm-hmm. As a guy, I would not want to keep two separate wardrobes. Like right. yes, there's there's jeans and t shirt that you wear and then there's uh you know your your work clothes. Sure. But to have like work clothes that are semi formal, casual formal kind of deal and flashy, casual formal, semi formal clothes plus your <laughs> everyday casual, like no, I'm not spending that kind of money. I'm not dealing with that kind of uh space consumption. Yeah. So it's easy to see how you would transition into let's just pare down the wardrobe, but even still, like he just he still wears nice clothes. Yeah. They're just not bright and flashy. So ultimately what happens is in the episode, Toby is a bit overzealous. Yes. Because he's not happy with the current situation. I think the big one is that he has been researching and inquiring about this house mm-hmm. that he would like to buy for his family to move to join him in San Francisco. Yes. Because, I mean, in his opinion, he has... It seems like the better job. It's a beautiful city. I mean, we've been to San Francisco. We love mm-hmm. it. Um, Fuck those hills, though. <laughs> for real. <laughs> One thing that actually just struck me right now is mm-hmm. the issue of Kate saying that she misses the old Toby. Yeah. In reference to this house situation. Doing yeah. this thing with the house is the kind of grand gesture that old Toby would do, 100%. And it's exactly the kind of grand gesture that Jack would do for Rebecca. Like, mm-hmm. he bought that house that they grew up in mm-hmm. without Rebecca knowing how he did it. Like, and she was like, can we afford yeah. this? And you find out, like, he borrowed money from his dad and... You know, it's... it does kind of make me wonder, and, and this is in no way would be a fault on the character, but it mm-hmm. makes me wonder, was Kate going to San Francisco to see how she would like San Francisco life or to see how, how she, st- how she currently felt about Toby? Maybe it's both. Yeah. You know, like I will say you and I are not the ones to dissect a unhappy couple them necessarily. We can't relate. Yeah. Fortunately. But I can see based on like things I've heard from friends, maybe my own past relationships where it's like you kind of start to realize like, oh, maybe this isn't going to work. And you start kind of fishing for things. And so I could see kind of Kate being like, I miss my husband. Maybe it's just we haven't spent enough time together, whatever. I I did write down something that I wondered if. So they took this like tour of San Francisco um, not what Toby had planned, which he planned like all these different mm-hmm. things for them to do. And Kate was like, he had a pretty full day. He did. Planned. And, and I I totally much... understand Kate's perspective of, I kind of just want to go with the flow. I want an old Katobi adventure is what yeah. she said. And then Toby's like, well, you know, when you use our ship name, I can't. Refuse. And, <laughs> and especially uh, given the thing with the house. Yeah. It definitely tells you like Toby planned all this stuff because he was tra- he was essentially trying to woo her on yes. San Francisco. Yes. Well, anyways, they went to this spot in San Francisco where they like put locks on a fence. And I wrote down, I want to go there to see if the Katobi lock is there. <laughs> um, and also, I didn't know that was a thing and that we should do that. 
well, maybe if we go to San Francisco at some point. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk about the fact that, like, I do think both characters are being shown as having grown yes. uh, and changed over time. So this isn't isolated, but I really do. And maybe it's because I'm a guy. I feel like Toby's changes are a bit more, are perceived to be a bit more negatively. Right. And, but he again- moved away to another town. Mm-hmm. Um, he well, has we... this different life and that kind of stuff. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you're fine. I was going to say, we do find out he gave up an opportunity in LA. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, he had I will a job say offer. he said the offer was not worth it, essentially. Like, he can make more money in San Francisco. They never give a number. I'm not sure if that's a choice by the writers not to... Not to be like, oh, Toby makes $150,000 a year. And then the audience is like $150,000 a year for that house in San Francisco. I don't think so. (laughs) Well, and I think part of it is because like I could see them not giving the number to form. So the audience can form their own opinion on Toby's situation. And well, Kate and Toby's situation, Mm -hmm. because he does say it would have been less money. Uh, Actually, I believe he says laughably less or something like to that effect. But and he talks about how the money he makes now, if they move there, it can help afford good schools for Jack and uh, stuff like that. I think so. Two things that I want to touch on with this. And I love Toby in the show. He's probably my favorite character. I think we say that every Um, week. But there are two new here. (laughs) There are two very important things that I think regardless of what you think of Toby, like immediately give him some bonus points. Number one, he goes on uh, talking about how much he's making here and how he can afford these certain things and like how much a uh, uh, a Braille computer or something like that uh, mm-hmm. would be like six thousand dollars. And he's like he's he says, and this one caught me off guard because I started taking it negatively, but the way it finishes, I think, is perfect. He says, "I have big dreams for our son, yeah, and I will do everything I can to afford so that he can live his life however he chooses." That's the one that really got me because at first you're like, oh, Toby has this kid's future planned or he won't settle for anything uh, lower than being the best or whatever. But finishing it with, you know, for whatever he wants to do or however he wants to live it. I'm like, that is a great dad. That's I mean. And unfortunately, that does mean that he that that, uh, Toby as the father as his father may have to make some sacrifices like living away from his family to make the kind of money or, you know, missing a uh, school function or something like that. And it's it's something that in our society, men and a lot of women now have to deal with. Yeah. And I think if you're the kind of parent that doesn't micromanage your kid and just want them wants them to grow up to be who they want to be organically mm-hmm. but also provide that for them like there are some parents that push their kids into gymnastics for example yeah. and some of the kids hate it and some of the kids thrive there are things that our son is into that we're not necessarily into but we provide a space for him to be into those things mm-hmm. i'm not saying we're world-class parents by any means but like i think like i related to that with toby of like i want to give jack everything he needs yeah and it wasn't it was not so much everything he needs it's whatever he needs yeah you know to live the life that he wants to and that like i said that's the one that got me it's however he wants to live his life it's like it started off a little rocky for me i'm like oh he's got his own preconceived notions about the way jack's life is going to turn out but he kind of, he just he saved it right at the end. 
you know, and it, yes. that meant a lot to me. The, the second element that I wanted to touch on, uh, again, coming to Toby's defense, is his explanation of how his job makes him feel and yeah. why his job makes him happy. He feels actually valued. Like for the first time, he's not just taking up space. He's happy. He enjoys what he's doing. He's good at it. All these things are things that every single person, man or woman, I think can relate to and wants. Well, that and then also um, they go to a cocktail party at Toby's boss's house and Toby's boss makes a comment that like Toby's the most well-liked person in our office in an office of well-liked people. In an office of people that genuinely like each other. Yeah. And so that says, I mean, we all know that about Toby. Mm. He's a very likable character. Mm -hmm. Um, I definitely think that, so Chrissy Metz, who plays Kate, helped write this episode mm-hmm. i really think that was the best thing because i think chrissy metz not only knows her character well mm-hmm. i also think that she knows toby well yeah and i think that having her help co-write this episode potentially kept it from being like a toby slaughter fest yeah and and they do walk the line pretty well i will say i do feel like they veer on the side of uh toby in a negative light well yeah because a bit more than they have moments where like so toby and kate have sex for the first time in a long time it sounds like from the show and afterward he gets up and has to take a work, takes call. A work call. Yeah, and it's little things like that that it's like, oh, Toby, you know. And like, I think about I put myself in Kate's position. Um, granted, we've never had the kind of jobs where it's yeah. like we're taking calls at odd, at like odd hours and stuff. But like, I would feel a certain way too. I'd be like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, <laughs> it's it veers on that side a little bit more, but I think it it is pretty even-handed maybe a little bit weighed on the toby side but i mean it's a it's a, it, it was a really good episode i will say so there was this moment after kate finds out that toby got offered this job um they go back to toby's uh, san francisco apartment and they have this argument mm-hmm. um and i will say as far as tv arguments go it's probably one of the best i've ever seen there wasn't a lot of yelling it was sad. Like, yeah. I felt like it was that kind of conversation where I just feel like it's a kind of argument where when you're done, you're like, wow, that was yeah. a lot. And um, so at the end of the episode, um, earlier in the episode, you see one of Kate's colleagues retiring. And at the end of the episode, I guess the hill that Joe was referring to uh, metaphorically is that Kate says she wants to be considered for her job, even though Toby at the end of their argument basically was like, we're moving to San Francisco. Uh, He says the only way this is going to work is if you and the kids move to San Francisco. Yeah. I feel like the wording there makes a difference as opposed to just saying we're moving. Okay, you're right. Uh, So to be determined. um, And the thing is, is we know that it we know what happens. We know. Well, yeah, we, we. we know. 95 to 99% sure that they get divorced and yes. Kate gets remarried. Yes. We and know it just is, hurts. It hurts. But Toby rules. Uh, so Toby next for episode, life. <laughs> next episode is going to be Randall's episode. It looks like there's some stuff with Deja and Malik. I'm kind of excited to see what's going on with Randall's family. I feel like we've stepped away from them for a few episodes. So 
uh, yeah, I'm just interested in the next episode. The next thing we watched, uh, we decided to watch Father of the Bride Part 1 and 2. Because Steve Martin is awesome. Yeah, we love those movies. Um, I just love Steve Martin. We were kind of trying to decide what to watch the other night, and that was one of the movies that was brought up. And then, of course, you can't watch one without watching two. Yeah, and honestly, not a lot to say about this. These movies, they're they're fun. They're good. There's uh, a couple of things that I want to bring up because we talk about this every single time we watch Father the of the Bride. No, not the house. Oh. So in the first one, they reference that um, the wedding costs two hundred and fifty dollars per person that's attending. I know. <laughs> and at one point, the guest list comes in at 572 people. Now, we are not exactly sure if or by how much they cut down that guest list. Yeah, they never really say. But if that guest list is at 572, that means that wedding in 1991, when the movie came out, would cost $143,000. <laughs> and you figured out that was how much by today's standards? So if you were going to throw that same exact wedding in 2022, $297,880.97. And you compare that to our wedding that costs like less than 8000 <laughs> It's like... Fuck. That's a lot of money. Yeah, well, he does own his own business. Yeah, and I'm not begrudging anybody who can or wants to spend that kind of money for their wedding or their daughter's wedding. But It is amusing considering it was a church wedding and a backyard reception. (laughs) And uh, the goal from the bride was to have a small-ish wedding. Yeah. And then, of course, things get out of control. Anyone that's ever planned a wedding understands how sometimes things get a little out of control and you either rein it in or you let it go. But yeah, so, and then in the second one, Steve Martin's character goes through a bit of a midlife crisis and they decide to sell their house. And oh my God, he decides to sell their house. (laughs) I mean, his wife agrees. He just, he ends up making the sale without her knowledge, It, but she agrees to list it. The house. Yeah. Is spectacular wonderful there's this great shot as they are so what ha- <laughs> they list the house and then uh somebody comes in and wants to buy it and offers an extra like fifteen thousand dollars if they move out by like within like 10 within days or something days. like that yeah and there's this great shot uh right as they're leaving the house where everybody's like lamenting having to leave this house and steve barton's like oh come on we don't need this old shack and they all look back at the house and it's this upward angle clear blue skies (laughs) and they have superimposed this rainbow (laughs) over the house and it's just like no this house is amazing and of course he finds out nina's pregnant he has a bit of a hard time with it he says some things that to me would probably make me react similarly to nina yeah he calls her by her maiden name, insinuates that it's not his. It's not his. <laughs> um, but as a grand gesture, he buys their house back for a hundred thousand more. <laughs> spending an extra hundred thousand dollars on uh, something, and then the beginning of the movie, they specify that he owns that ha- that they own that house free and clear at that point. Yeah, and then not only do they buy the house back for $100,000, but then they do like a baby suite. This huge room. This room is ridiculous. (laughs) You know, I brought it up when we were watching it, but it's like, I feel kind of bad for Maddie. Like, oh, their oldest daughter gets like this hella expensive wedding. Their youngest daughter gets this like fancy baby suite. What does Maddie get? He got married on Zoom. (laughs) 
he can't he can't even invite his friend to their 250 dollar no he, play, he invites him but he didn't eat it but the kid eat. doesn't eat and that's squints right yeah from Sandlot. yeah <laughs> uh and the the zoom wedding was a reference they did a uh like father of the bride three ish um when uh the pandemic was first hitting so i don't know if you can find it anywhere i think it's on youtube okay i have to say of all the horrible shit the pandemic has brought us it also brought us a lot of cool like reunion Mm -hmm. type episodes and i wish we could have them without the pandemic yeah well people really needed a nostalgia hug yeah um so yeah that was just a little fun thing that we watched that we wanted to talk about because it, it floors us every time we think about how much <laughs> that wedding costs and the fact the idea of selling that house that you own outright is just mind-boggling to us and that's a movie that joe and i just put on all the time mm-hmm. so uh moving on to star trek picard yep season two episode four watcher mm-hmm. we may or may not know who the watcher is by the end of the episode i was wrong yeah. It was not Wesley Crusher. You were not right, but yeah, we did so, get to see her again. Yeah, so uh Picard goes to the coordinates that uh Gerardi got from the Borg Queen about where to find the watcher. And it's on Forward Street. It's ten Forward Street. Yep. Which for those in the know, if you know, you, <laughs> if you know. know, you know. <laughs> um, but and he meets up with a younger Guinan. Mm-hmm. The actress that played Guinan was great, by the way. She was amazing. She did a really great job of showing us a Guinan that is not the same Guinan that we see in Next Generation. And I think rightfully so. When when a species is going to live that long, I can imagine that they would go through many character iterations. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's seen humanity at its very worst. And no wonder she's like, get me the hell off this rock. Yeah, so... <laughs> couple of things that i wrote is there is there was an issue for me about why guinan wouldn't recognize picard because in next generation there's an episode where picard and a few other members of the crew go back in time to like 1893 i think it is and they meet guinan because she's on earth mm-hmm. so there was i was wondering how they were going to address that and they don't address it in the show i read an article where they were talking about the fact that so picard is essentially even though he has all the like the memories in the brain of normal picard he's coming from a future that is alternate where the federation doesn't exist so he would have never gone back in time with his crew to meet guyan and whatever and i'm like even if that's just them patching a hole it sounds good enough to me yeah we didn't watch ready room again no, we didn't. Oh, well. Uh, the next note that I have. So Guinan is essentially selling the bar, getting ready to just leave Earth because she's like, fuck this place. Well, yeah, because she even said she's like, are you, are you here to rob me? Yeah. Like, she, apparently she's been dealing with that a lot. So the note that I wrote is Guinan putting the whole human race on blast because she yes. does. She, I mean, they really present this picture of this 2024 earth that is a hellhole well i mean it's i mean i wouldn't say it's as bad as like the confederation uh (laughs) earth but like it's where it it's not 20 but but the thing is that's where the confederation is leading yeah it's basically again it is where it is it's where our planet will be in 2024 and it's not great hence 
hellhole. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Picard. You can't talk about Star Trek without getting a little political. Well, or yeah. The, the one thing opinion. I will say is <clears throat> so it was never hard to spot the progressiveness and stuff like that in Star Trek. With this season of Picard, especially the fact that they're in 2022, they are do- making no attempts to disguise it as something else. And it's not a problem, in my opinion. It's no, perfectly I mean, fine. I'm just bringing it up as a difference in the way things used to be done versus what they're doing now. I mean, Rios now. is captured by ICE. He's in a building... In, and that guard or cop, what, ICE agent, whatever, that keeps going into those holding cells, that dude's a fucking dick. I mean, from things I've heard, it's not that far from the truth. Oh, yeah, I'm not. You know, deporting people, making yeah. them sign things, not giving them representation um, that they're legally entitled to. It's, um, it was upsetting to watch. Yeah, it is. Like I said, it's just the only difference is... A lot of times in Star Trek, we would see them address these issues through the lens of another species or some uh, yeah, kind of humans. entity or something like that. And you would have to, you know, you'd have to, you know, dig a little bit to get under the surface to realize that it's but with this, especially because they are in a time that is very close to our present. It's just like, yeah, there's there's no hiding. They're not attempting to paint it in a different color or anything. It's just straight up. This is no, what you don't have is. to dig. They yeah. already dug it up for you and they're showing you exactly what's there. Um, so one thing I did write down is that they have three days to fix shit. Yes. Um, they only have three days to figure out how to fix whatever. Well, figure out what changes and then right. how to fix it. Right. Because from what we know, the Earth presented 2024 that they're seeing was the Earth in 2024, but then something happens. That Q did. Yeah. And so they have to figure out what it is. Um, There's some stuff that goes on with Agnes and the Borg Queen, which um, I very much out loud was like, no, Agnes, don't trust her. And then you kind of find out that Agnes, I don't want to say played her. Yeah. So the basically Agnes convinces the Borg Queen to help by being like, well, you're cut off from your entire collective. So you're probably lonely. I'll talk to you. Yeah. And then so the Borg Queen helps. And then Agnes just like deuces and yeah, walks away. Goes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's that's not going to play out in a beneficial way at all. No, we we can already see that there's going to be something that happens with Agnes and the Borg Queen that mm. totally fucks everything. When Picard, uh, Guinan takes Picard to who we think is the Watcher. Yes. And it is Laris. Yes. We think. Or... So it's the actress that plays Laris. Yes. Who's also in Into the Badlands. All right. Um, But yeah, so we see that Picard recognizes her. Yes. But the episode ends pretty much with her grabbing him and teleporting away. Yeah. When did we see Q? Was it after that? It was the very end of the episode, if I remember correctly. Right. So... We see... (sighs) We see a girl reading a book. Mm-hmm. Um, I did do a little digging on that because a friend of mine mentioned that it had uh, Easter eggs from Star Trek for the original series movie and then a couple original series episodes. I believe the book she's reading kind of ties into that somehow. Mm-hmm. And then you see Q. So the scene plays out really interestingly because you see yeah. the girl walking through this like 
outdoor cafe. Outdoor cafe kind of area. And she's yeah. got the book in her hand and she's reading it. And you hear Q's voice. Now, I don't know the book. Was he, with his dialogue, like he was reading the book? That's what I don't know. Okay. So, but his dialogue, it, it's it seemed like maybe he was actually reading passages from the book or quoting passages from the book. Yeah. But and either... it shows him try to snap so yeah what it is is you see him doing something what what, i don't remember why he was snapping but essentially he reaches out to snap because that's how he you know manifests his powers and nothing happens yeah i believe he's he's like oh well that's no good or something like that yeah so it's like is he stuck or are they doing something to change already i don't know well i mean it's not the first time q would be powerless but the continuum took away his powers before yeah uh it also continuum isn't happy but it also plays into the idea where we were coming from after the first episode or no the second episode we were like is there something wrong with q yes is he dying is he unwell is he you know whatever before we move on um i did want to touch on seven and raffi just that they're trying to get to rios Uh uh-huh um and they steal a cop car and it was really funny watching uh seven drive the cop car (laughs) i don't know (laughs) It was just, um, I really like their dynamic. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, so the whole thing with Q is like, you know, it's just what's going on. Is Q going to end up being like, like finding Picard? Yeah. Or, you know, just no idea where this is going just yet. I don't want them to leave us like hanging for too long. Like I want to get something. Yeah. But I will say I definitely felt better coming out of this episode than I felt coming out of the last yeah. episode. Like I actually feel like we're somewhere now as yeah, opposed we, to just getting through. Um, do we know how many episodes? It, I'm sure it's out there. I'm asking if you or I know because I don't. I thought I heard it was 12, but it could be 10. Oh, I don't think it's 12. I don't think these series usually go that long. Well, the last one was 10. This one is 10. Okay, so 10 episodes then. So we have six episodes to go. Well, five, six, seven. Yeah, yeah. six. I had to do some quick math. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're, we're super into it. All the stuff with Q and Picard and the Watcher. Um, I'm interested to see if this is actually Laris. And maybe she's always been a Watcher. Or if... The Watcher is using Laris's body, essentially, because we saw the Watcher kind of go into different people's bodies following Picard. Well, so... Or getting Picard there, I La- guess. Laris wouldn't be alive. No, that's true. I do believe... We saw her dead. I do believe Vulcans and Romulans have a longer lifespan than humans, I think. But maybe not think. that long. But not that long. Also, if I'm remembering correctly, she did not have Romulan ears. Oh, Okay. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we're still super into it. Looks great. Or it is great. All that. Okay. <laughs> so the last thing we watched, we actually just finished watching, was the Halo series on Paramount Plus. Uh, season one, episode one called Con- Contact. Contact. Mm-hmm. So I think we mentioned it last week or the week before when we were talking about the trailer. Both of us, no real connection to the Halo franchise at all. Nope. Just looked like a cool um, show i wasn't sure how i would feel about it but i asked joe to wait to watch the first episode with me so he did i will say this so early on in the episode they're talking about the spartans mm-hmm. and about how like 
you know, one of them is worth a hundred regular Marines and they don't stop until everyone's dead and they're super hard to kill and all this kind of stuff. And like, I would like to argue that point because I played Halo for like an hour <laughs> and I died a shit ton in that hour. You didn't feel like you were a, a killing machine? Not at all. I'm just saying, <laughs> you know, it's fine if they want a retcon. <laughs> Granted, this was like original Halo. Yeah. But... Ultimately, like, I think not having any connection to the franchise as it actually exists in the video games is a benefit for us because we're not like, oh, well, they should have done this because I liked it from this game. Well, again, you kind of it kind of goes back again to that book into movie thing. If you mm-hmm. if they make a movie out of your favorite book, you're potentially anticipating these scenes or these things mm-hmm. happening. And when it doesn't, you're disappointed. Whereas if you go in without knowing anything at all you can be pleasantly surprised. Now, maybe the original fans of the video games aren't going to be happy, but those of us that don't know anything and are blissfully ignorant will probably enjoy it. And I will just say that, like, I went in not knowing if I'd watch episode two, and I know I want to watch episode two. Yeah, this is one of those shows where we think that there's going to be a lot of moving parts and a lot of Mm -hmm. threads tying things together. And, like, eventually at some point, they're going to start telling a story that you think is not connected at all and then it'll get added to that weave but yeah it seems like there's going to be a lot of political stuff involved with you know some action from uh master chief and uh whatnot one thing that we both did notice um was we noticed a very prominent mandalorian feel yeah to the show and i am not saying that because man the mandalorian has the market cornered on that kind of series or storytelling <laughs> it's just it's forefront in our minds because mandalorian is going into its third season and that kind of stuff but like it has that vibe and i'm here for it i'm you know i'm not saying it's a ripoff or it's a it's stealing from it or anything like that it's just that's the vibe that i'm getting from the series a little bit Mm -hmm. and it works i like it you know this show looks good it looks at the very least like i said before it looks like good a decent sci-fi show yeah and um i like the little things they're dropping here and there um, I'm curious to see how this past that Master Chief is remembering plays out or how he continues to remember things. I did have a theory about potentially secret siblings, mm-hmm. maybe, uh, because both Master Chief and this girl we see with, I don't remember what this thing yeah. called. But anyways, this human the, girl the is aliens. on the world with the aliens and the alien mentions to the girl that like he can unlock it like she can that that yeah that master p master chief activated the artifact the just like she can yeah so for me i'm just like oh secret siblings (laughs) so i'm sure that being able to uh, activate the artifact will come into play Mm -hmm. but if i was going to speculate on the flashbacks uh, there might be some his- some information garnered through there. Like we did see in one of the flashbacks that he actually apparently drew a picture of the artifact when he was a child. Yeah, that was interesting. But I do think the more important thing with the flashbacks and the memories that he's unlocking is that's what's going to put him back in touch with his humanity, which is going to make him choose the good thing or right thing to do versus over the orders to follow, which we do see in the first episode. Right, which I did. The one thing I did look up is... Um... A little bit of the backstory and apparently the spartans are basically they were kidnapped as children mm-hmm. genetically modified to be super soldiers and and then highly get trained this from, and highly trained and we don't or sorry we get this from the show that 
he clearly doesn't remember his past. Yeah. And they're to follow orders mm-hmm. um, without question. And uh, I believe that's basically said by like Quan, the girl who was um, the remaining survivor. Yeah, she makes a. So she like, says I that they had to question everything, basically. Yeah. So it starts off like the conversation between them. She mentions that she's met him before or mm-hmm. encountered him essentially and she talks about how her mother was at this rally for insurrectionists insurrectionists essentially and master chief was there and he killed her mother on and, orders on orders and because the original order was just to go kill the organizer or whatever but that they got new orders that was to kill everyone involved right and the and Quan makes a comment about oh yeah cuz she was such a threat and master was like well you know sometimes people higher above me know more than i do and i think she says something like yeah but the other way can be true too whereas yeah. you know he could have information that they don't have or you know so they're definitely playing into this idea of you know somebody who's been bred to follow orders and then starting to make their own decisions follow orders with that question yeah and then we got to see master chief unmasked yeah, which I unhelmeted. think, yeah, I think, I think it's a good thing. I think it, again, plays into that idea that, like, he's becoming more, quote, human instead yeah. of just a killing machine. Mm-hmm. Well, and also the way they had him do it was all, you know, so for us, we get to see that he is a person under there. I mean, I'm sure we mm-hmm. all know, but like you see a human being. But also it was a way to get Quan to trust him that he was changing it because he's like, you know, my armor is made of titanium and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Um, and he takes his helmet off and mm-hmm. he says, you know, so if you want to kill me, you're going to have to aim high. Like, look, I am trusting you by exposing myself so you could kill me if you wanted to, to yeah. show you that I'm not trying to kill you. Yep. But so, we're enjoying we it. liked it. It was um, it was good. I think it looks really good. There are a few spots where the CG was a little obvious, but overall, like that doesn't kill a show for me. Like it still looks good. Yeah, we're not ones to get too nitpicky about stuff like that. I mean, I can usually spot it in a lot of things, but it doesn't it just doesn't ruin a show for me. Like a lot of people, a lot of people would hold something like that against the series. Like, oh, it sucks because the special effects aren't great. It's like you don't need perfect special effects. One for me, like, I'm not really one to notice if they suck. I notice if they're, like, old looking, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But it's not ever anything that's going to take me out of the story or make me irrationally lash out about the show. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, we're on board, I think. Um, Yeah. And we'll see what happens next week. And, you know, what also comes out next week? Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Yep. We got a full schedule. Yeah, it's getting heavy. We're going to have to figure out a way to cut down some of the talk. (laughs) Eh. Unless, you know, long episodes are fun, I guess. We're not that long. Yeah. And there's, you know, some stuff that will be edited. Yep. So, yeah, that's what we watched this week. So I think we're done. And we're eight for eight. We really need to come up with an actual way to just sign off this thing. We get so (laughs) like rambly and like who's going to say something how do we want to say this? It's just, yeah, we need to, we need to actually like come up with a way to end the podcast. Yeah. Well, yeah. with that said, same time, same channel next week. No, that's lame. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, let's go ahead and sign off. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.